All right, another amazing show today. And now I am going to bring on my favorite co-host for a Tuesday morning, Pamela Skilling. Good morning, Pamela. Good morning, Chicky. How are you today? I am doing great, and I am actually delighted that we don't have a guest today because I so enjoy talking to you and, uh, you know, kind of musing on on the learnings that you and I have both had. Um, I want to just recap uh, real quickly uh, kind of the morning that we've had here, which has been uh, very, very interesting. And usually I have Chris Bradshaw, uh, my other favorite co-host, with me, but she uh, has taken on a new job with a startup company, so isn't as available Ooh. to me as she has been in the past. But we started off She's the morning. She's going to come back and tell us about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, definitely. I'm hoping uh, that when we regroup in the fall that she'll be one of our first guests talking about their successes. Um, yeah. Started off this morning's show with uh, an innovator of the highest order. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Dan Bricklin, but he was one of the uh, co-creators of VisiCalc uh, back in the 80s and uh, was really instrumental in my life of helping me with software design back as early as uh, 1986 uh, with his tool called the Dan Bricklin Demo, which was essentially a prototyping tool. And we built out an entire application using it and uh, so it was really cool to circle back with him, uh, you know, more than 20 years later and, and uh, hear about uh, where he is in his journey. And then had uh, John McBride, uh, former astronaut and, and part of the whole shuttle program and now working at Kennedy Space Center uh, on helping to uh, touch uh, children and adults alike through their uh, astronaut encounter program. And then uh, I think you just heard the tail end of my interview with John Milton Fogg, who is just... Uh, uh, an amazing guy. Uh, I mean, I love uh, the way his mind works. And uh, I'm going to have to write some things to him, telling him specifically uh, what I love about the way his mind works, because we were talking about uh, networking today and what he calls drive-by. I didn't get the exact quote. I'll have to go back and listen to it. But it's like <laughs> drive-by commenting, which people do on you know Facebook sites and on Twitter, uh, you know, about, oh, loved your book. You know, but he said, what I really want to know is why. Why did you love it? You know, what was it that made it come out? So, you know, he talked about how questions come out of listening and shared a really great site uh, called speakingandlistening.com slash quiz. And and you know I love quizzes. And one of the things that I loved when you and I first met was the the quiz that you shared with folks uh, about how to know it's time to escape from corporate America. Will you share that again, Pamela? Uh, yeah, you can find it on my uh, on my website at escapefromcorporate.com. Um, I actually have to look up the exact URL for you. I'll give it to you before the end of the uh, – you'll find it easily once you're on my website as well. Okay, well, that's great. Well, uh, again, I want to just share with our listeners that um, Pamela is the author of a book called Escape from Corporate America. And one of the things that she and I talked about when we first met was, you know, how do you know – Um, that you really should be an entrepreneur. And I know a lot of people right now, because they're unemployed um, or maybe underemployed, are actually considering entrepreneurialism as an option. And so what I'd like to talk about, Pamela, is is how to find opportunity that that matches really what you're destined to do and and do you have the things that it takes uh, to become an entrepreneur. So, what do you what do you tell people? Where do you have them start in figuring that out? 
Well, I think one of the things, and especially in this market, I'm so excited that we're talking about this today because I've been I've been noticing in the last couple of weeks two two things kind of happening simultaneously. I'm I'm seeing a lot of people who are feeling discouraged and asking if they really can make their escape or build their business in this economy and is it is it impossible? Is there a dream impossible? And then on the other side, I keep meeting people who are um, finding these opportunities in the current environment and um, building businesses um, that function well, that are taking advantage of what people need right now. And in any economic environment, people, there are things people need and there are opportunities to reach people if you've got the right business idea. So I wanted to make sure that we spent some time um, sharing some of those stories and giving people some encouragement that they really can get out there and do it. And I think I may have wanted a little bit, um, but I think one of the things I would tell anyone is if you're if you're thinking about if you've been laid off, you're worried about being laid off, and you're concerned that what you really want to do, your business dream, is totally impossible. Don't give up. Don't give up on yourself too too easily. I mean, do your homework and and figure out a practical plan. You know, you know from our past conversations that I'm all about action. You know, there's all, there's the dream, and then there's the action and the homework, but uh, I would advise people not to give up too easily. So let, let's kind of go back to when when you were in corporate America and and what the catalyst was for you to leave. And, and how did you know that you would be happier outside? Well, it took me a while, and, and that's part of the reason that I ended up writing the book is because I felt like I could save – other people, a lot of the kind of uh, tortured musing and back and forth that I went through because I kind of had this belief, the way that I was raised and having worked in corporate America for so many years, to me the idea of doing something that you love seemed more like a fantasy. And everyone was sort of telling me, you know, you don't love what you do. You come in, you're in a paycheck, you're lucky to have a job. Nobody really likes what they do for a living. So I accepted that for a long time, and I tried to make the best of, of what wasn't a very fulfilling situation, And um, but it did eventually take a toll on me, and I really was feeling stressed out and really depressed about the idea of this being the sum total of my life. Is this what I'm going to do for the, for the next 20, 30 years? Is this all that I'm going to contribute to the world? And I know you're big on the idea of legacy, and I think that's one of the things that bothered me the most. I didn't feel I was making any kind of a difference, or even using my greatest talents in in the corporate world where I was. So right. um, so it took me a while, and I think for me the, the turning point was not um, wanting to leave because I wanted to leave for a while <laughs> before I did, right. but just seeing some examples of people who had done it. So I, I could sort of start to put the puzzle together and put together a plan. Huh, interesting. Well, I, I think I've shared with you before that um, – I don't know that I I ever had the epiphany while I was in corporate Mm -hmm. America that I needed to be outside. What what I see now in retrospect is observing my own behavior and interacting with other people in the kinds of projects that I was picked to do. And and here is, I I think, the biggest clue that that people can have, and, and in particular, if you've got a kind of 
consulting tendencies within you, which is is what I was seeing, is that I was picked for every single project that started with a blank sheet of paper. Other people, Mm -hmm. my peers, were chosen to manage something that was already built, okay? And I wasn't getting those jobs. And, in fact, I remember being totally disappointed um, there was a job as as a a senior manager or, or maybe it was even a director position uh, of the training department when I was at at uh, a, a group called Agency Data Systems within the Sabre organization, which at the time was still owned by American Airlines. And uh, one of my peers, Nancy Rayner, got the job, and I remember being so 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 disappointed. But what ended up happening was just absolutely life-changing for me, and that was I was picked to head up uh, a venture um, to determine how we could bring automated expense reporting to uh, to corporate America, you know, that when they came back from their trip, they could reconcile the charges from their credit card all the way through to producing the expense report and to use a computer to do that. Now, as I told on the interview this morning with Dan Bricklin, these were the days when there weren't PCs in corporations. Now, I happen to have a Macintosh on my desk because I, I was one of the early adopters of the Mac platform. But that job, you know, catapulted me into mergers and acquisitions, into writing business plans, and ultimately building a business on doing those things. And I did project after project after project after that. But that was the one defining moment, you know, where this colleague of mine got this great job that was perfect for her, but it wasn't perfect right. for me. And I thought it was. And, and you know, so if I have to point to any moment in my life that showed me that I was an entrepreneur, it was that one. That's amazing. You know, and I hear that story so often, and, and I can relate. I don't think it, it wasn't one particular opportunity, but for me, um, I really do think that if my if my job hadn't gotten so bad, I would never have made the move. And that's what I think about, you know, opportunity in bad times. Um, sometimes things have to get pretty bad to light the fire under you to take the risk to do uh, what you really want to do and what you know you were meant to do. And I hear so many stories every day from successful entrepreneurs and successful artists and people who basically um, started down the path that led to success because they were fired or they were passed over for a promotion or they were passed over for a job or, you know, things that they cursed at the time and felt sorry for themselves that turned out to be a huge blessing uh, looking back. So I think that's such such a common story. (laughs) Oh, it is. It is. And, in fact, uh, one of the things that I've been taking people through in the mentoring that I do, and I think I've shared this with you uh, on the show before, is I, I have them lay out their life. Uh, you know, you can even start just with an eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper. It's kind of best if you turn it sideways, and you know, draw a line that starts literally with your birth and your childhood, and draw on that line uh, circles that represent uh, those kind of dark moments of your life. And I usually have people, you know, actually uh, draw them in so that it, it it's like this dark blob on on the line of those things that were disappointments or closed doors or broken relationships, whatever it was, and that if that hadn't happened, you know, right around the corner is always a diamond. 
And that diamond yeah. is that defining moment when you realize why the dark spot had to be there because you couldn't have gotten to the place of opportunity without the dark spot. And, you know, if you go through your life, you've got those over and over and over again, both personally and professionally. And if you lay down the lives of those people around you and figure out the defining moments in their lives that got them to the place where their life crossed your path, I mean, then you get mm-hmm. a great appreciation for this tapestry, um, you know, this this grand weaving that is going on around us every day. And uh, one of my favorite books is a book by Ravi Zacharias called The Grand Weaver, and where he talks about, uh, you know, the, the actual threads that are going through. And sometimes those threads are dark or they're dingy or they're, they're, uh, you know, gr- shades of gray and brown, and other days they're brilliant and they're, you know, the great colored shades. But you need the dark threads uh, really to make the colors stand out and be as brilliant as they can be. It's true. And, and any great success, talk to any person who's a great success, and I've had the pleasure of being able to interview a lot of them for different books and articles that I've written, and they all have these huge failures too. And if you talk to them, you know, a few years before, you might have realized, you know, this person might have uh, told you they were never going to get anywhere. <laughs> you know, they, everybody goes through these failures bef- before you can have success. I, I truly believe that. And uh, I was just writing about Albert Einstein. Actually, I did a blog post because um, I was reading a bit about him and about his early career. And I think it's it's so fascinating that he basically was in a dead-end job as a clerk in a patent office, and was actually told he was um, not bright enough to be promoted uh, in his job. And meanwhile, just a few months later, um, you know, he had this breakthrough that changed the way we see all of us see the universe forever after. So I find that inspiring. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I I think the whole notion of, of failure preceding success as opposed to being the opposite yeah. You know, is is the Absolutely. real jewel. You know, that's the real diamond. And if we can yeah. if we can grab a hold of that, you know, because I mean I I think what I was trying to allude to before and and people who are currently unemployed who are, you know, thinking that they can just go into business for themselves and that that's going to solve everything. Um, you know, quite often they will first experience a failure. Um, you yeah. know, prior to just hitting that absolute home run um and you know i mean i look at my own life and i mean i, I did come out and i i was very successful as, as a consultant but 10 years later i realized it wasn't taking me anywhere and i was just as much a prisoner uh to my own consulting firm as i had been to a corporation i mean how many times do you hear that right. and and so then i set out to change uh the end of the story you know i i, I set out to rewrite the story and the next chapters that unfolded weren't the way I wanted the story to unfold. And because there were other people helping to write that story, um, it took a whole different turn. And and so now I'm, you know, again, back to trying to rewrite the, the Chickie Fitzgerald story. And, and I don't know what the outcome is going to be. But I know that this last five months of, of doing this radio show has been a, a real cornerstone and certainly not a dark spot, but one of the great diamonds, uh, you know, in my life. And e- even though economically it has not been a diamond, 
um, but just mm-hmm. the people that I've met and, I mean, the people you've introduced me to. And, you know, I mean, it's so funny to think that you and I have never met. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, know. Chris, I Chris my, other, my other co-host, <laughs> yeah, my other co-host, uh, you know, she and I have been, uh, you know, dear friends for, for well over 10 years. And, uh, you know, I look forward to the day when you and I can finally meet. Yeah, I do too. I feel like we know each other already, but it's, we've never seen each other face to face. Right. Yeah. And I think it's interesting too that um, you know this applies in your company too. And you you touched on this this idea of being able to embrace failure once you've started your business and and know that you don't know everything and you're you're going in with that business plan. And I do encourage doing a lot of planning and research, but. We all know as entrepreneurs that the plan rarely goes exactly as <laughs> expected, right? Oh, no kidding. And uh, being able to embrace that and, and learn from it and change direction if you if you have to is <laughs> great. So let, let's talk about that. And, and uh, you know, not everyone that you interviewed for, for your book was successful, the, you know, right out of the gate. And, and there were a lot of lessons learned. Can, can you think about the ones that stick out, uh, you know, in your mind of, of uh, different experiences where there was learning from failure? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the ones that immediately popped to mind is um, – a gentleman I know who was a very senior technology executive. He worked for HP. He worked for um, a lot of big companies. And, you know, by the time he got laid off, and this was during the last economic downturn when the dot-com bubble burst, uh, he was laid off in that environment, and he was, you know, having a very difficult time because he was older at that point, and he felt that there was a lot of age discrimination at play. Um, He just could not find a job, and it was a very humbling experience for him because he had always been extremely successful and he was used to having a huge team under him and and being treated with the utmost respect and having that position as part of his identity. And so that was a really trying time for him and he he got very depressed and it wasn't until a mentor of his encouraged him to basically seize control back and start his own consulting company um, you know, if, if nobody's going to hire you as SVP, which is what he was going for, you know, then just take that title of CEO for yourself and right. start your own business. And he did it. He did it kind of reluctantly because he felt that um, he still thought it would be a lot easier to get a job, as many people do. <laughs> um, but he pretty quickly saw how rewarding it could be. And he's also one of those people that, you know, he wasn't immediately equaling his old salary right out of the gate. You know, it took some time to build that business and to develop those connections. But um, eventually he got to the point where he was very successful as a consultant and he um, he didn't care anymore that, uh, <laughs> that he uh, wasn't getting called for job offers because he was making more as a consultant than he would have going in-house. Well, and, and so that one. actually can can easily be true. And, you know, one of the things that I loved – was that in my corporate life I had built up all the skills that I needed to be a successful consultant. What I didn't know, though, and and uh, what I had to learn the hard way, was that when you hang out your shingle, uh, and everyone who's gone out to be a consultant has learned this, uh, you know, uh, yeah. some some more quickly than others, that managing the cycles, managing the ebb and flow and the feast or famine 
of consulting is really the biggest challenge. And yes, absolutely, you can make uh, you know a pretty significant chunk uh, hourly or daily uh, versus what your original salary was. And yes, you can choose whatever title you want: chief inspiration officer, chief executive officer, whatever you want. But managing the money side of things and managing the fact that if you land that great contract with that big multinational company, um, you know, that that's really wonderful. But guess what? Their payment cycles are 90 to 120 days. <laughs> and, you know, how yep. are you going to make it? And so, you know, those are some of the things about, um, you know, consulting and being in business for yourself, particularly in a service job or a service, yeah. uh, you know, approach that people don't think all the way through. And and so, you know, the appeal of charging, you know, you name your number, whether you started $1,000 a day or you're fortunate enough to be able to, you know, bill three or $4,000 a day for what you do, um, you know, getting getting people to actually commit and and to hopefully someday pay you some of that up front, uh, you know, which is what uh, certainly after a number of years of consulting I was able to do. Um, you know, that there, there's just a lot to it. Yeah, and, and building that into your day and into what you do, because when you first start consulting, you think, hey, I'm great at consulting or I'm great at whatever I'm an expert in. And you don't really think about building up your skills in those other areas like sales and uh, you know, following up and keeping track of invoicing and, and well, all working of those things, on the business. Yeah, working on mm-hmm. the business rather than working in the business. Um, exactly. You know, and that that was made famous. Uh, I, I well, I'm not sure he's the one who coined the term, but the whole uh, e myth, uh, entrepreneurial myth exactly. series. Um, That's what I heard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And and even though the the examples he gave in in his book, um, you know, actually in retrospect, I, I thought were just a, a little bit. I'm going to use the word silly, and I don't mean that he is silly by any stretch of the, the imagination because his <laughs> books are powerful. But he, you know, he used the example of a, a pie maker who, uh, you know, she had been taught by her aunt and and was just expert at everything pies. And so her friend said, "Oh, you got to open a pie shop." And you know, while that sounds like a great idea. Um, you know, she didn't know anything about sales and marketing and accounting and managing. And, and, you know, how do you grow a business not to depend on you? Yes. Well, and that's funny because that example, it's similar. I, I know a woman in my network of entrepreneurs that I know here, women entrepreneurs, and she started a company called Tribeca Treats, which is basically a bakery uh, down in, in New York's Tribeca neighborhood. And, you know, she did have some business background. She used to be uh, in investment banking, so she came in with both the ability to bake and the ability to run a business. Um, But she has often told me that the biggest growing pains for her were, you know, figuring out how to to hire and train her staff and and be able to create a staff and a team so that everything wasn't so dependent on her where she could, could step back and let go a little bit. I think that's something many of us entrepreneurs face when we start to get to that next level of growing our business. Right. Right. And she's, so been, what do you and she's been very successful. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I mean, the real key, and, and I'm I'm actually looking at, at uh, Michael's book on my shelf, and, and uh, his name is Michael Gerber, who wrote the E-Myth series, and, and the latest one that I have is called E-Myth Mastery. And, you know, from time to time, I, I pull that book back out and, and read through the, the very, very practical tips 
um, about how do you build an organization. And the one thing that, that sticks out in my mind is that he focuses on no matter what you're planning on doing to grow your business or someday sell it, that, that you actually need to build it with franchising in mind, right? And, and mm-hmm. to document yeah. everything in such a way that you could franchise it. And I think I think that's really uh, a uh, a brilliant way to approach entrepreneurialism. That that no matter what great idea you have, is is could you document it in such a way that you could hand it over to somebody else to run? Because if you can't, yeah. you're stuck, <laughs> right? Right. Then that's all you're all you're going to be is you're going to always be limited to the number of hours that you have. That's how, that's going to be the limit on your. Uh, on what you can earn. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, again, if, if somebody thinks that they can, uh, you know, sell their time for $1,000 a day, um, you know, they, they mo- try to do the math of, of how many days they think they're going to work. And, and uh, you know, and, and the number sounds pretty good, by the way, <laughs> but that's not the reality. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, again, if if you are the business and, and uh, you know, we've talked before about people who come out and, and you know, name their business after themselves, which I, I happen to think is is uh, you know really the cardinal sin of entrepreneurialism is is then then you really have put some handcuffs around you because who's who's ever going to want to buy a business that has your name on it? Right, exactly. Unless, Unless you're, maybe you know, if your name Jordan is Bill Gates right. or Dan Bricklin. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I, I agree, and and I think it's you know it's one of those things too that you know a lot of people might say. Well, you know, I can't afford to hire anyone right now. I can't afford to um, to think about that. I just have to pay the bills. But I think that is, I mean, it is true. Maybe you can't afford to hire someone. But like you said, you can document. You can think about what processes can you create and make your intellectual property. Even if you don't have someone else who can do them right now, keeping your eye on that as a future of creating this intellectual property around whatever processes, products, whatever it is that's unique about what you do, the way you think, and think about long term and being able to have a team of people who can go out there and uh, and do what you do. And it may not happen tomorrow, or maybe you can if things take off. Or maybe you can partner or find freelancers if you can't afford to hire a full-time team. But I think starting from the beginning with that vision is really important. Right, right. So we we have just a few minutes left. Um you know, as as our listeners are thinking uh, about where they are and and they're in in corporate life today, and and they know they really do have what it takes, uh, and they have a great idea. Maybe they don't have the capital to make it happen. Um, what what are the things that people can start doing while they're still employed? I know you've written a lot about this. Yeah, I'm a big believer in uh, the I call the approach ethical moonlighting, and I'm a big believer if you still have that day job to um, hang on to it and do what you can on the side until you're ready to to make the leap. And there's a lot that you can do on the side. I mean, starting out with, with research and um, talking to people, writing your business plan, working out your numbers, all of that stuff can be done um, while you have a day job and uh, while you figure out what you're going to need to do this full time and how long it's going to take for you to get there. But you can also do things like create... Um, you know, create your product, start designing your product, start selling your services on the side. I know a lot of people who um, who have businesses on the side as a long-term 
sitting, and they hope to someday make it full-time, but for now they're doing it when they can on weekends and the evenings. Maybe they're selling their crafts on uh, on eBay or on other sites, or they're doing some occasional consulting. So there's a lot that you can do, and I think momentum is so important. And just getting started and not waiting until the conditions are perfect to take any step at all. Take right. a small step, whatever you can do now. And you know, and there are opportunities. That's one thing I wanted to mention is there are opportunities in a recession. There are things people need. And I just um, I just did an interview with uh, a gentleman who started this uh, regional 99-cent store chain, and they are doing beautifully. <laughs> That's uh-huh. a great business to be in right now. Um, I just spoke with a millionaire Mary Kay representative. Um, people are still buying lipstick because it's an affordable indulgence. So, so think about what you can do to meet people's needs in this economy and where your opportunities might be to, uh, to get you through now and be able to flourish even in a challenging environment. Well, I think that's really great advice, and uh, I, I uh, wanted to take a little time to talk about some other ways uh, to fund it because I'm just uh, coming out with a book next month called Bootstrap Business, but uh, we have run out of time for today. So, again, Pamela, I just so appreciate you uh, taking the time just to be on uh, yourself today, and I've enjoyed our time together and looking forward to next week and hearing about uh, our guest for next week. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Have a great day and a great week. Okay. Take care. For more information about Solutions Live, see www.solutionslive.blogspot.com. That's Solutions with a Z. I trust that today's show provided you with a bit of innovation and some inspiration. Join us again on Thursday from 10 until noon for the personal side of professional life. Go out and begin to leave your legacy today.